This week on The Undoing. Welcome to the filler episode where a few important things happened, but mostly it was just slow and boring. Here are the things you actually need to know. Hot Detective is flying in on helicopters, and even though Grace just called 911 on her husband, he still thinks she's lying. The baby is Jonathan's, but Fernando Alves is constantly pushing her around in a stroller. The sculpting hammer is missing from Elena's studio. Jonathan's posh British ass is in Rikers, and though we know he's not going to fare well, we did not necessarily think he was going to end up biting some methy-looking dude's finger and probably getting a communicable disease. Sylvia, aka Renata, is the one showing up at Jonathan's media frenzy of an arraignment. Bail is $10 million, and Jonathan has a shitty public defender named The Badger. Grace meets with Dr. Stewart, who says it was Jonathan who seduced Elena, not the other way around, and implies he's a psychopath. Donald Sutherland gave Jonathan 500 k ostensibly for Henry's school tuition, and he also wants Grace to get her own lawyer. So does Sylvia. But Grace goes to hire the impossibly elegant Haley Fitzgerald for Jonathan instead. Haley says she can win any case, but she can't fix Grace's mess of a life. After following Grace around for the whole episode, Fernando Alves finally confronts Grace about smearing his dead wife's reputation. Grace demands to know if Elena had any other lovers and if she was being treated for mental health issues, prompting Fernando's ominous warning, be careful, Dr. Frazier. And most importantly, Grace demands to see the camera footage from the area surrounding Elena's studio and whoopsie, there's Grace looking to get mugged walking around New York on her own in a rich-ass coat and gown in the middle of the night. And Big Little Podcast is back for episode three of The Undoing, Do No Harm. I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie. I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Madeline slash Jane. And Carolyn isn't here this week because uh, her body has decided to betray her, and she we've had some scheduling snafus, and since this was a kind of boring episode anyway, we figured we'd forge ahead without her. Um, She'll be back so next let's week get... with a vengeance, I'm sure. <laughs> Yes, she will be back with all her many thoughts next week. Um, so I want to get I want to kick this off with something um, that struck me actually during like the last week on kind of thing um, before the ep- episode actually started. And it got me wondering, like, how did Jonathan conveniently have a fake doctor's conference already scheduled the day after this chick died? Yeah, I wondered that, too. Is it a sign of premeditation? Yeah, I mean, I thought that that was sort of what the police were getting at, was that he, and what she kind of had figured out in episode two, was that the whole mm-hmm. thing was a made-up alibi, So because he knew he was going to confront her and kill her and run away, and this was his cover. Otherwise, it, you know, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, Right, it, it makes sense if we believe he's guilty, if... If we're supposed to think he's not guilty, then what the hell is it? Like, he was just going to, like, go to Cleveland and hang out in a hotel, but then he yeah, accidentally... Yeah, because he first... Ca- like, they talk about it in the car ride to the gala, and at that point, according to him, he had no intention of killing her. He just wanted to talk to right. her. So it's either as he did have an intention to kill her, and that was his alibi, or there was... I mean, but I think we we can agree there wasn't 
any conference because Stuart no. was like, I don't know of any such. And you feel like the doctor community is small enough that they would know this kind of thing, especially if they're all in right. pediatric oncology. It's not like a huge <laughs> department. So maybe it was like a pre-planned sex weekend or something. Like, were, was he supposed to be meeting her somehow? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think this if, is if it, big evidence that he's guilty. Like, yeah, I think that something was going. Yeah, because it doesn't really make any sense. I'm starting to think now, this episode in particular, that the whole nature of the show is it wants us just to ping pong back and forth between Grace and Jonathan, like who's guilty every moment. Mm-hmm. And then you've obviously got sketchy stuff also happening with the side characters that could, you know, be a wild card option. But mm-hmm. this episode, I feel like, was really obviously making us feel like Grace is in the hot seat, especially by the end of it. And Jonathan was maybe being portrayed in a slightly more sympathetic light. But I was starting to feel by the end of it now that he's the one that really is guilty with the whole, like, biting of the thumb thing and how he just snapped into that rage. Like, that that demeanor yeah. of kind of being friendly dropped instantly. And he was just like, don't fucking look at me. Don't talk to me. That was, like, a very different Jonathan. And if you're trying to survive in Rikers Island as a posh British man, like, don't you think you'd be, like, slightly more polite to a felon? Yeah, I would be, like, <laughs> looking for anyone to befriend me. Yeah, it would use be, that like, bedside manner. To- <laughs> like... We talked about the night of, like, earlier mm-hmm. in this season, right? And that's sort of the same thing where you've got this, like, nice college kid who finds himself in Rikers. Yep. And, you know, he has to befriend Omar from The Wire to survive in there. It's so good. <laughs> like, it really is. It was really a great show. John Torturo. Um, I mean, that's what I was getting, like, with this, like, a cheap, the Badgers, like, a secondhand John Torturo in the night of. I was thinking the exact same thing. He hasn't scratched his feet yeah. randomly with a device Where's once. Where's his eczema? Like, what is happening? <laughs> um, speaking of the badger, his accent is off the goddamn wall. Like, what was it that? is like, I have no idea even what it was supposed to be. It was like an Irishman <laughs> slash Russian immigrant who's growing up in Queens. Like, I have no idea what that accent was yeah that was a strong choice the whole badger thing was a choice it it sounded like so it it was sort of nicole kidman-esque right yeah like it sounds like he has some accent naturally and is trying to do some other accent and it's just turning into like an unintelligible yeah it's just like your accent now it's just it's specifically (laughs) you i do feel like the badger they have to have some sort of like ridiculous caricature of a figure mm-hmm. to be a foil to this like incandescent attorney that mm-hmm. um, Grace slash Jonathan Jonathan I guess it's going to be his attorney. I think that's going to well, change. Well, now I'm wondering. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, like, yeah, is she going to be like, never mind, um, change of plans? I really do need an attorney of my own. Um, she was just like, first of all, she is gorgeous. Ooh. Second of all, like. That office, I was so confused when Grace walked in. I thought she was in a, like, the bank from Mary Poppins. I was <laughs> yeah. like, where are, there's so much wood. It's so weird. Oh, my gosh. Clearly, you other. haven't seen the later seasons of The Good Fight. Their office gets, like, no. this ridiculous makeover, and it just looks like a, <laughs> like a hotel in Dubai. They hate it so much. <laughs> it's great. That's a great show. Um. All right, so I have a couple of questions here. I feel like maybe the plot is thickening a little bit, but I may also just be, like, um, nitpicking to the point of, like, finding red herrings where there are none. So 
Um, Sylvia, a.k.a. Renata, is the person who, the only person who goes to this arraignment for Jonathan. Um, and she's reporting back to Grace. But there's something weird about the way she looks at Jonathan. Yep. That made me think, like, oh, yep. I was like, did this guy have here? sex with her too? Like, that was my instant thought. Like, the just that there was something like an acknowledgement, or I mean, she could have something help, you know, help him cover up something too, I guess. But they just, there was some sort of chemistry or something. And I was also kind of like, I get she's mm-hmm. like their token lawyer friend, but what is she really doing here other than to report to Grace? Like, it just felt like there was another reason for her being there, and it was to maybe communicate something non verbally with Jonathan. Yeah, and it's also weird because she keeps saying, you know, I'm not a criminal attorney, like, this is not my yeah. area, but then she's like, she knows who the badger is, yep. and she knows who, exactly who the DA is, and it just seemed, I don't know, it seemed weird, and, like, things weren't quite adding up, and then there was a look, which also made me wonder, like, you know, why did, it was weird that he went to her in the first place, because yep. it's not like he couldn't, couldn't have afforded an actual attorney, Um so maybe there is something going on here. Maybe even that doctor's conference was really about um, meeting up with Sylvia. Who knows? Like, I also feel like if Sylvia was a true friend and an ally, if Jonathan went to her about this, she would have been like, no, I'm not taking this, and told her friend. Like, So the whole fact that she took the case and worked with him and kept this from Grace the whole time and then like takes her out to lunch in a kind of like a, all right, I'm going to lay it all on the table kind of thing. That didn't sit well with me either. So there is, and I think her whole inclusion in the story, right? Like she's not, it's clear that she's not just one of these, you know, Mm -hmm. fill in bitchy moms TM that David Kelly loves. Like she is very much like the Madeline, the Renata, like she's, she's integral to our story. And I think it's going to be more than just, she's a lawyer and she's good at her job. Therefore she's useful to them as just like the legalese translator. Yeah, that yeah, that's a good point. Like, she, why is she here? Why do we even hear her? What, like, Grace could have just as easily gone and sat in on right. that. Or sent her dad or, you know, pretty much anyone. We could have could seen have it through Mendoza's that. eyes. Like, it could have been any number of people that showed us that scene, mm-hmm. but it was Sylvia. And there was, I, I just feel like the camera work in this show is so intentional. And those two long shots when they first make eye contact at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then when he's leaving, he turns around and stares at her for another, you know, three-second beat. It just feels... It's not passing. It's not... I, I do think we can be guilty sometimes of reading too far into things. The sheer nature of doing a podcast about TV. But I don't think that's Maybe the case. Maybe she's the killer. Maybe she's jealous of the old mystery. Yeah. I mean, that could be. Ooh, I like that. A new candidate. I mean, we're all over the place. Yeah. But, you know, it's um, why this kind of show is fun. So we also find out that... Daddy Donald Sutherland gave Jonathan five hundred thousand yeah, dollars after what? he claimed they might have to. Yeah, I like to and call that said, half but, a million dollars because I think it has more impact. He gave him half yeah. a million dollars. <laughs> like that is an enormous amount of money. He, but he also says that that um, Jonathan said they were going to have to pull Henry out of Reardon, right? But I am like ninety eight percent sure that in episode one. They very clearly, they make it very clear that everyone knows that her dad is paying for Henry's school. When they're talking in the kitchen, and I was going to go back and double check this, but one, I couldn't find my notes, and two, I was like, it kind of feels like cheating to go back now. No, it does feel um, like cheating. I agree. We're trying to keep this pure for you guys. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure if you went back and listened to episode one of the podcast, 
I brought this up and said, like, it feels like this is going to be important that he is the one who's paying for the school. Like, we need to know this for some reason. So if that's the case and I'm right, like, why does Grace seem shocked to find out that, like, he gave him money and that he's paying, he's the one who's really paying for the school? I, we definitely, oh gosh, I don't want to cheat, but like, I want to know, um, do you remember the context of who was in that scene? Was Grace in it? Yes, it's Grace. It was the like breakfast scene, like before they all get up and leave the house that morning and they're, they say something about the school and I think it's when she tells him that they're, they've got the fundraiser and he's like, we have to raise funds for the school that costs $50,000 a year and that were we already gave them fifty thousand dollars or something and someone says something like well my dad did or you know something like that like um so it's it seemed pretty clear to me and then the dad's at the fundraiser right so like why is he there if he's not involved in the schooling somehow yeah i mean this donald sutherland's whole flitting in and out of scenes and just sort of like being this wealthy towering figure, but you're very unclear what he's actually doing. I, I mm-hmm. mean, all along, like when he leaves the fundraiser, he's got something to do. Like that timeline is suspicious given mm-hmm. what happens after. Um, why is he hanging out in the museum so much? Does he just chill in I, there all day long? Like it just, it, there's like a mob undertones to me somehow. Like, and the detective knows mm-hmm. to just show up at the museum and he'll be there. There's just like stuff about it that, you know, him knowing where uh, Elena's house is, that yeah, was a big, that like, was, what? what? <laughs> yeah, like, he is outside staring in at poor Fernando, who's just trying to take care of this baby who's not his. And, like, Donald Southern is skulking around outside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was very uh, ominous. And I think that, oh, gosh, I mean, I don't want to like get ahead of ourselves, but the other thing that I found was very ominous and suspicious was at the end of this conversation about the money, his like bursting into tears about not being able to protect her. And mm-hmm. I'm like, either there's past trauma here and something happened in their past, which we've discussed that like maybe Grace had some sort of psychiatric issue. And, you know, obviously there's this mysterious dead mother that they that gets brought up this episode. Or he's crying because he feels guilt over something else. Not that. Not, yeah. You don't feel like guilty moved to that uh, like degree of tears giving away half a million dollars that you think like that could have prevented. Uh, I had nothing to do with it. He would have killed him either way, right? Like, I guess yeah, we don't know I'm, like what the use of the money was. Like, Jonathan, did he use that money to like set up an escape plan? Is that, I don't know. I'm confused about that. Or did he need that? Oh, he needed that money to get um, Elena's kid into Reardon, maybe? Me? Oh, okay. Th- that would make sense because it's like, where did the money go? Because she does say that he kind of cleaned out their bank yeah. accounts a little bit. Um, and clearly he hasn't bring it, been bringing in income. So maybe to some degree he was using it to make it look Looking like his... he was getting paid. Yeah, that could definitely be it. Okay. But still, but, half a mil- I guess, I don't know. Half a million dollars to Donald Sutherland is nothing. <laughs> like, And, right, and also he's going to him and if he really said it's for the school and everyone already knows that he's paying for the school, then like, that's not really an issue. Right. 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 He's paying the tuition. Like what, even if they're destitute, that kid gets to go to the school. Also the school is $50,000, not $500,000. Like that is an enormous difference. (laughs) It's not like, Oh, I need next semester's tuition. Yeah. It's like, I need his college fund right now. Like, no. (laughs) 
the more I think about all these little things, like the scarf from the last episode where, like, it suddenly changed and she was wearing. She wore it again this episode. Yeah. And so, like, the more of these little tidbits that, like, come out, the more I think there's going to be a whole giant unraveling of all these little things. Like, it's going to have, they're going to have to do one of those montages where it flashes back for the people who weren't paying as much attention as people who were making podcasts about the show (laughs) yeah like like where they're like oh remember this thing you barely noticed here we go um yeah yeah i think like if you're if you're listening to this podcast and watching the show you need to be paying like attention to every tiny weird little detail because i think they're going to be important yep and again we still have this question of this flashback fantasy what are we seeing when she has the confrontation with fernando Mm -hmm. She has this extended yeah. flashback of Fernando looking through the window and seeing Jonathan and Elena, Elena having sex. And we've mm-hmm. had that montage before that Grace has seen in episode two of the two of them having sex. And it's the same image. Again, it's not like it's changing and she's imagining different things. Mm-hmm. It very much looks like a memory. And I don't know if with Fernando, that was her imagining him discovering them and then killing her out of you know a crime of passion yeah. or rage or whether it's her watching him see them he leaves Mm -hmm. and then she goes in and finishes it off like well the other thing i was thinking is like is it possible that because we see him and like the windows are kind of you know like they're like red they're not real windows right so you can't really see in so he overhears something yeah but he doesn't necessarily see it and so i'm wondering if like the last time we see this flashback it's not jonathan it's grace yeah but i don't know but again it's still like is it it's almost like little things are coming back to her like she's had some sort of like i don't know like electroshock therapy or something that we don't know about and her memory is kind of a mess for some reason and like it could be a trauma thing like she's suppressed and blocked Mm -hmm. out like that whole memory and that's what we're getting is pieces of it are coming back as time goes on and things you know trigger her memory so she sees Mm -hmm. the picture of herself on the sidewalk and her face is shock and awe, and then it's, oh, shit, maybe I was there. Like, I I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think either Grace is criminal mastermind and a psychopath, or Grace snapped, and her brain has resorted to protecting her from that information by burying the memory, or she had nothing to do with it, and her dad did it. Or Jonathan did it. I mean, I think Jonathan is very much back on the table, well, so let's talk a little bit about, so she has like a lot of pointless, what sort of seem a little bit like boring, pointless conversations yeah, in this, of one of which is, well, yeah, one of which is with Dr. Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's basically like he's, again, he's like, I'm not supposed to be talking to you. I've signed confidentiality, blah, blah, blah. But, but, you know, he was warned multiple times and he just didn't listen. And he's a narcissist who gets off on this kind of attention. But then, meanwhile, we've got Jonathan telling Grace that Elena was obsessed with him. And she kind of diagnoses her from afar with, like, a hero worship comp- complex. And I'm wondering, like, who... I mean, I feel like Dr. Stewart is the more believable character because he's the one who's removed from the situation but for all we know he's been like you know jealous of jonathan for years yep. or something you know what i he mean did seem so, very bitter like it was yeah. it was not just that this guy was unprofessional and made doctors look bad and it was mm-hmm. embarrassing it was like fuck this guy 
I really and before it kind of mm-hmm. seemed like mm, I'm just trying to save face, maybe cover for him, and now it was like, mm-hmm. no, I really dislike this person. I he went so far as to accuse him of being a psychopath. Like that is a strong accusation mm-hmm. from medical one medical professional to make to another. I was kind of struck by that too. Like at the end when mm-hmm. um, or when Fernando confronts Grace and he says, "Be careful, Doctor Fraser." I was like, there are two Dr. Mm-hmm. Frasers here, and I feel like that parallel, like, there's something going on with that, like, the idea of, like, a tactile surgeon mm-hmm. that's dealing with cancer and children and all that versus someone who's working inside the mind. Like, they're setting up some sort of parallel, like, Jonathan is a man of, you know, who's accustomed to gore and death and hard decisions and... She so maybe there's like a combination. They're both guilty in some way, and she's repressed it. She's you know used her training as a psychologist to retreat inwards and cope that way. He's the pragmatic surgeon that was able to bludgeon someone to death. I, I just feel like maybe there's something like that going on too. And I don't know. And Henry, we got to talk about Henry this episode because first of all, that kid <laughs> actor is amazing. All these children are just so talented, but. Yeah. I feel like they're setting up him to have more of a role in this too. And maybe it was, you know, some, they did something together to protect Henry so they could still be a family because they didn't want, you know, Jonathan to go to jail or Grace to go to jail or some combination of them. So they're working together. Like, I just felt like when they were looking at each other over him, there was some other stuff being communicated more than, than just, you know, you're an asshole. Yeah. There's also that scene where Henry kind of, I don't I don't really know what the point is. He starts ripping the bedroom apart, yep. throwing stuff everywhere and then like like he's looking for something, yep. but then what he finds is a framed picture of his dad, which by the way has been in like almost every house. Yeah. Like it's always like on like it was on his bedside table before in their house and then I think it was at the beach house and I was like why is the same picture of Hugh Grant everywhere? <laughs> but I think the kid is carting it around, yep. but I also think it's weird that, like, a 12-year-old boy has his dad's headshot on his bedside table. Also, the um, anger when he accused him of, so you're fucking her, like, that really mm-hmm. hard delivery of that. And that's a jarring word to hear from a little boy's mouth. And it felt mm-hmm. more than just, like, I'm using a big boy word that's going to hurt you. It's more like, I know what you are and I'm disgusted. Yeah, and when he... When he's talking to Grace about, like, when he shows up in her room and is like, you think he did it, don't you? And the, he gets this really kind of crazy look mm-hmm. on his face. And I think the kid's too good of an actor for that to not be yep. intentional. Yep. And you're like, mm, Henry, are you, you know, bouncing off the walls here? What's going on? Yeah. No, um, there's something else going on with that for sure. And I don't, mm. I got the vibe that. Either it's unspoken, like they're worried about him. I don't know. There's just the scene in the in the prison. I thought was you know we already had one prison scene, right? Mm-hmm. Like we didn't need two right. of going to sit. And I really hate those scenes where it's like, well, there's no way to get outside characters into prison except putting them in a weird like meeting room with all the other prisoners having emotional moments around them. It's just so silly. So to yeah. have two of those felt like okay, this has really got to be important to have. And you know, David E. Kelly likes his aesthetic, and a prison is not an aesthetic, especially Rikers Island. So yeah. to sacrifice aesthetic and rich homes for two prison scenes, and I thought yes, the actor was fantastic, and that was you know a wonderful opportunity for him to showcase vulnerability and all that. But 
it also felt like, again, the camera work was like looking over his head and the two of them were making eye contact and looking down at him and the reaction to deflect with humor, like Jonathan immediately having to like, oh, I've gotten you into it again, haven't I? Like, it just, it all felt like mm-hmm. they've done it before. Like, this is, they've dealt with something with him or he's, I don't know, or he's involved in some way. So let's talk about the camera. Um, Grace's plan to demand to see the footage goes very awry. She 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 thinks she's going to go in there and see like some ex-boyfriend or you know um or she's going to see what the police missed or something and there she's going to see Fernando Alves stalking around, which actually it seems like if that flashback is correct, he should be on the a camera yep. somewhere, yep. but um So should Jonathan. I was confused about that unless, you know, that people are coming from different directions, which is fair. Yeah, true. But so, you know, they're like, yeah, sure, we'll show you the footage. Here you are, you crazy bitch, like walking around in the middle of the night Just and a, you're a block down. Away. And you're, yeah. Um, and she's like, well, I, I like to walk. Sometimes I go on walks, which we have seen. She does like to walk. There was like a damn near a whole episode that was just her <laughs> walking around. Um but it doesn't make any sense, right? Because no. we've come to know they live in very different neighborhoods. It's not like she just walked out of her Upper East Side door on 63rd Street and ended up in Harlem in the middle of the night. Like, no. So, I like, that doesn't even make sense as an excuse. But also, like, wouldn't she have already told the police that she went out for a while? You know, like, there's a lot going on here. What, what did you think about this? Yeah, I mean, my first thought was, again, either she's a complete straight-faced psychopath and she's got a whole agenda for why she's doing this or she has dissociated from this completely and has genuinely no idea that she was there but there is no like rational excuse for her to be there there's nothing you know and it obviously makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. why um the hot detective is constantly like giving her suspicious eyes and is you know despite the fact that she calls 911 he's immediately again like questioning her like well of course mm-hmm. he's seen this bitch on camera <laughs> like as far as yes. he's concerned he's she's the only one that's got concrete proof of her being there so yeah it you know by the end of the episode i think we're meant to think okay grace definitely did this and then so w- w- if we also think back to that first episode when we see her laying in bed and she's having this kind of weird dream flashback thing about Jonathan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and then he comes in and then... They have sex. Like, they have sex, only now we're, th- we're to think that she was out wandering around the neighborhood. And so, yes, I mean, these flashbacks are... And, like, all these little things were like, did she see this? Is this imagined? What's going on? Are starting to add up a little more, I guess. Like, if she was actually out walking around, then, yes, she could have seen Fernando walk up to that window and walk away. Yeah, I mean, Um, I just really feel like, for some reason, this episode was making me feel like they were in cahoots in some way. Like, the two of them together both had mm -hmm. some implication in this crime and were both there and are covering for each other. And down to, like, her calling 911, like, all of that was pre-planned. Mm-hmm. Like it just even though like yeah I mean he comes out of nowhere you know she thinks he's gone she has no idea he's at the beach house and he scares the crap out of her yeah when he yeah shows well, up. you know unless she's they're acting for Henry I don't know yeah I don't know there's a lot of weird things going on here and but the, then like another question um, like why did they arrest Jonathan when yeah. they have a video of Grace 
Well, they did say like, DNA, right? Like they had sex, so you know, okay. there's probably DNA evidence, right, of sex. Mm-hmm. So that would put him there. You also get the flashback where he talks about being in the apartment, like they could have had prints and stuff like that that they matched mm-hmm. him. I don't know. I don't because I'm trying to think too, like how who reported the affair to the police? Was it the hospital? Right. Because Jonathan well, yeah, was MIA. Probably... Elena was dead. We don't know how much Elena's husband knew. Right, because, you know, why would his DNA be in the system? Like, why, why yeah. would they be able to match it to anything? Or his anything? prince, even. Like, he's, a, you know, a doctor. Right. And they didn't say anything I mean, about maybe. that. So, you know, I feel like they would have been like, oh, his prints were all yeah. over the scene or something. Are we supposed to think that, like, maybe doctors have to get printed for some reason? Like, for their medical licensing? Or I don't know. They don't really make that clear, so... We don't understand why, like, it's not just unknown DNA at the scene until they are able to... And they haven't said anything. And usually, you know, they... You got to assume with the television show, not everyone is, like, true crime obsessed and would put that together that they got him by fingerprints or a DNA match. So usually they have to spell that stuff out. And they have been spelling everything else out in terms of, like, the police work. Like, oh, we're picking up the hairbrush to take this for a paternity test. That could have also easily been... You know, to test for the match of semen that was found, like, that Mm -hmm. that didn't happen. So how did, why did the suspicion fall on Jonathan? Was it merely because they called the hospital and the hospital's like, no, he doesn't work here anymore. We fired him because he had an affair with that actual woman. And that's Mm -hmm. how this all spiraled. Yeah, I mean, would they, I guess there could be some kind of court records, but it doesn't seem like that happened, right? It was just hospital disciplinary things, which seems like it would be... You know, according to Dr. Stewart, everyone's not allowed to talk. So I don't know how they would find that out. And at that point, like, it's not, you know, obviously him having an affair with her makes him suspicious. But they haven't actually given us evidence that ties him to the scene. And usually Mm -hmm. you have to have something to arrest somebody that's more than just like, oh, yeah, they were having a consensual adult affair. Right. And, well, I guess the husband probably could have reported, like, oh, well... You know, our son was sick and we went to see this doctor and they were like, oh, that doctor also, his kid also happens to go here. You you know what I mean? Like they could have, I guess they could have put it together that way, but that it still seems like. But I think that's what we're trying to get at here is that Mm -hmm. they have camera footage of Grace. Like that would be the person that I would bring in first. The one that's one block from the scene that saw her like two hours before at a party. And they waited this long to show her. Yeah, that was weird. Like, why didn't you arrest her? I, I, it just, you, you, I don't know. Mm, very strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get to Nicola's in the shower again. Um, <laughs> My favorite section. The, in this episode, like, you know, there was, I don't know, it felt, part of the reason it felt kind of long and boring to me was because there were, it seemed like there were a lot of unnecessarily long shots of, like, New York City. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, yeah, this probably happened a lot in Big Little Lies, but it was the Monterey Coast, yeah, so right. it was beautiful. And now we're just looking at traffic. Yes. I read, <laughs> I don't remember which article this was. I want to say it was Vulture or Slate, but I'll try and find it so I can fact check myself. Mm-hmm. But it was an article talking about how this was um, David E. Kelly's homage to New York versus how Big Little Lies was his homage mm-hmm. to California. And I totally feel that, that he's trying to get these, you know, expensive 
panoramic shots of the city, but it just is not the same. Like, it, you know, I get that if people live in the city and appreciate its beauty, but to me, it's just like, that looks like anxiety. And I guess it yeah. works for this show because it is very anxious. I mean, you feel tension as a viewer constantly. I, you know, even in a very, very boring episode where I struggled, I, I watched it twice and I struggled to get through it both times. I was going to say, how often do you think Rikers Island has to like shut down to have <laughs> scenes? Just I wondered that too. I was like, did they build arriving? a set of Rikers Island or did they well, actually film it? I feel there? like. I feel like Law and Order, like, we get a lot of scenes of people being, like, pulled in through that gate, too. And, like, they all look pretty similar. And it's not like anyone would normally know what Rikers looks like. So why not? Maybe there's just, like, a lot in New Jersey somewhere that's just, like, little Rikers Island. (laughs) Just, like, a fake studio that everyone uses. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I thought that, too, though. I was like, man, Rikers must be raking it in with all these production expenses. I know you think they could do a little bit better for the people in their care. <laughs> no, uh, come on. With, <laughs> like, um, so speaking of Rikers, the richest thing in this episode to me was taking a goddamn car service <laughs> to get dropped off at Rikers, which um, Grace and he- uh, Henry—that's his name, right? Yeah. Grace and Henry do when they go to visit Jonathan, and I just—I was like, "Are you, like, are you trying to get this guy, like, you know?" Um, blackmailed in prison like every time she walks in there i'm like as if his own coat wasn't uh didn't make it obvious enough that he was rich when he was walking in there now he's got this lady coming haven't you heard about dressing for prison like what are you doing (laughs) i i have no idea so what stood out to you as the richest thing in this episode um, probably when she walks into donald sutherland's palatial apartment and they just casually play bach each with a hand I was like, that's a rich thing yeah. to do. Like, just to, you know, be able to pick up Bach and play one hand while your father mm-hmm. plays the other in an apartment with art that's probably worth more than my entire existence. That Maybe felt rich. this is somehow just like a follow-up to the Goldfinch. Yeah, I did. Was Donald Southern in that too? I think it was. I didn't actually watch it. I heard it was really bad. I heard it was really bad, too, but I kind of want to watch it. Yeah, now I do. Just to see how bad it is. Yeah. Um... And also them just, like, casually talking about $500,000. Like, they weren't referencing half a million dollars. That I was like, that's something only rich people do. <laughs> like, oh, it's just five hundred k. Like, no, sir. Yeah. That's not what that it's is. It's just, like, ten people's yearly salary. That's all. Ten. Oh, my You're God. You're clearly not a millennial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm an exennial. Thank you very much. I'm almost a millennial. Um, yeah, the whole, that whole apartment, just, like, when she brought... Fernando in there I was like really you're gonna do this to this poor guy like you're gonna let him see that your living room is like three floors of his apartment that building. was just like, like the this... reception area of her house I was like we've never even seen this room before and it looks like a an antechamber <laughs> just <laughs> like oh this is where we like let the help come in while we interview them <laughs> it's just too much uh Fernando Alves too holy moly he is a beautiful man he really oh is. My Those God. eyes of his are like, and just imagine what he would look like if he wasn't playing like the downtrodden yep. husband of this like cheating bitch. But I'm also you like, know? you're really trying like, to tell me that Elena chose to sleep with like raisin version Hugh Grant over that? Like, please, <laughs> that's not believable. No, not at all. Like, he just keeps looking worse oh, and worse. When he was in his episode, sad which... boxers in jail, I was just like, this is a really awful image. I hate this. 
his face is like it has never seen moisturizer no. in, these, in these episodes. Like, I can't believe, like, it's almost hard for me to believe that Hugh Grant actually looks this bad in real life. Like, yeah, he, I mean, I get that he's English. Sorry, and, Hugh Grant. Like, <laughs> if yeah. you do look this but, bad in real life, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to believe it's is, lightning. I, yes, or they're using that weird, like, aging thing they did to Robert De Niro. Oh, in God, in The Irishman. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> like didn't get there. Um, it is. Um, he just looks so bad, especially against like luminous Nicole Kidman yep. and beautiful Elena. Like he just looks, and he's in prison. He's supposed to look bad. Fine, but like, oh my god. Yeah, the only person that was doing him any favors was the Badger. I was like, he looks slightly better here by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, I mean, even the methy guy whose finger he ends up, like, biting off. Was, he was looking like, kind of like a snack, too. I'm not going to lie. A methy snack. No, he, he had a very, like, early Brad Pitt thing yep. going on. You know, like, uh, he was much I also feel like that actor's kind of famous. Like, I've seen him in other things. So I think oh, we'll, I've definitely seen that we'll guy. like, probably see more of him. I don't feel like he would just do, like, a quick cameo on a show like this. We can, we should look that guy up. We should be better at podcasting. We're not guy very because, good at podcasting. <laughs> because I also thought he looked familiar, and um, but I he might also be one of those guys who just like showed up in Breaking Bad for like an arc to play another methy looking dude or something. You know, People like do love I don't to play know. meth characters. Mm-hmm. I am trying to pull this up right now just to see. Oh, he's not. But that guy, I mean, for a meth addict, he was in very good shape. I mean, he had like an eight pack going on, which probably means he hasn't eaten in three years, but whatever. God, the IMBD list is just long. Very long. (laughs) And there's no listing for methy guy who gets bitten off. (laughs) No, there is not. I can't find him. Speaking of getting your finger bitten off, the pool of blood left behind after Hugh Grant bites his finger is so grotesque. I'm like, okay, what disease does he have at the end of this? I'm going with like hep C. Like he's going to have something. Okay, so I think it's this guy, Tucker Lewis, and he's only in one episode. So there goes that theory. Mm -hmm. And he's not in anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean he has been maybe in other we stuff. just know him from our meth days did you red dead redemption the video game he's in that no no i don't think that's content that's relatable to you yeah no i i think that we just maybe know have a mutual acquaintance that looks like this i don't know oh anyways he was not significant so best outfit this week i i found it a little hard yeah. to come up with one because again it was just an episode of coats Yes, part. I did but like that. Did like, anything deep, st- the garnet one she wore um, when mm-hmm. she had the confrontation with Fernando. I liked that, and the scarf was back. She was pairing that. That it, there was only like a little bit of it visible, but I'm quite sure it was the same scarf. This like creamy scarf with this red band in it, mm-hmm. and that was with this nice burgundy coat. I think that scarf is just mm-hmm. very important. It's getting way too much screen time. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> the the only like even outfit that really stood out to me in any way was it's not even that I particularly liked it it was one of these outfits that made me think like girl you need to like buy some jeans because she goes to prison wearing a leather skirt and like a fancy silk like brocade blouse or turtleneck thing and 
it's very monochrome. A lot of her wardrobe in this is very like monochromatic. Like it's a, th these are like a brownish purple color. Both They're very of them fall. And... Like it's a it's a fall palette. Mm -hmm. You know, greens and dark like reds and purples. Yep. Yep. Agreed. There's, it's very, uh, even her Stevie Nicks dresses are yeah. like more fall than spring Stevie Nicks. Yep. And when she um, went to the lawyer at the end, she had that blue, like jewel toned blue sort of shiny pussy bow blouse. But even that, like, mm -hmm. which was, you know, a bigger like splash of color than we usually see on her, the lighting around it was kind of muted, What she was wearing beneath. It was kind of muted. I, I think he's being very intentional with the styling. You know, he did this with Big Little Lies. I mean, you had a very clear, like, sense of who all the characters mm -hmm. were based on their clothes. Yeah, and it's kind of struck me that this is set in, it seems like maybe November-ish mm -hmm. in the weather-wise, weather, weather -wise, right? It, like, it's clearly sort of cold, you know, that park where they're walking, or that scene where they're walking across the park in the first episode you know, it's got that gray but not quite snowy look that the Northeast tends to have about it in November, except for right now where it's gonna say not degrees now. out for some horrendous reason. Um, not that I'm complaining about having a few good days of weather, but it seems strange to me that, like, mm, I live on happening. a pond and people are literally swimming right it now. It was snowing <laughs> last week. It was There was uh -huh. snow on the ground last weekend, and it was 80-something degrees yesterday. That's not normal. Yeah. This is bizarre. It's so strange. But, yeah, and, like, November, like, it doesn't really seem to matter when this is set, right? Yeah. So far, like, just as easily could have happened in May or August. I mean, it or could September, have happened so five I... years ago. All of his shows, like, they don't necessarily have to be yeah. in the moment. They're very like non-referential to events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I am wondering if like the choice to put it at this particular time of year is going to matter eventually, and you know, or if it's just about the wardrobe, he just wanted to put her in a bunch of beautiful coats. Who knows? Yeah. I, I just yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that that feel. Like, it's contributing to the story in a way, and it's not mm -hmm. just an aesthetic choice. And it really could just be that we are deeply overthinking this, but I do feel like this bundled up layers of things, gloomy, things aren't always what they seem, you, you, your vision is obstructed. The, I just mm -hmm. feel like all of this is contributing to this kind of confused atmosphere. And I keep this theme song Every week, I want to, like, talk about it again because it, it means – it gets a little, like, richer in its meaning to me. And I feel like this, like, frothy, childlike counterpart, like, maybe that's a representation of, like, retreating into something that is pleasant and mm -hmm. opposite to the lived reality, which is gloomy and gray and, you know, the hard lines of New York. The opening is all trees and a little kid running outside and it's pink it just seems like such a strange choice if it's not supposed yeah. to be intentional, like really intentional. I can't wait till this is over and we can put it all together because it's like, was this just some weird Nicole Kidman demand yeah. that she gets to sing the theme song? Or did they do this very intentionally and on purpose as like another little nugget? For Even if she wasn't singing the song, about. I would be like, if it was a completely yeah. different song, if it was just classical music, I'd be like, what is this opening? I'm so, it's clearly a childhood version of her, but it's all mm -hmm. of these inverted like mirrors and it almost looks like the beginning of, <laughs> I don't know why this is where my brain is going, but do you remember that documentary about the girls that made up the fairies and like 
took pictures of them and then they got exposed as being frauds. This happened like years ago. It was like the first major scam in our history. Made up the fairies? They like took like... pictures and this was like the beginning of the age of cameras and they found a way to like superimpose these fairies in the shots and then okay. they told journalists that they had like seen these fairies and people bought it and they became like famous for a short period of time and then they got exposed as being little frauds. And it just, something about this opening reminds me of the tone struck by this movie I saw about this. So maybe I'm the one that's losing it, and that's the real plot here, but I just feel like... I have never heard of this, but I am so into it, and I want to know what okay. the documentary is called. Cause... It might have been a movie, like a feature film about it, I, but I know it happened. If there's someone out there that knows what I'm talking about, please send us a DM <laughs> at Big Little Podcast, because now this is going to make me crazy. Yeah, like I want to know what this is. I I love a good scam. Yeah, like the um, a childhood scam too. Just like little grifters, I do love that. And I feel like there's part of like this is evoking that, like this idea of a little kid that is like manipulating reality, and maybe that's what the son is doing too. And he's like inherited something from his mother. There was an episode of the last podcast on the left. Oh, about this whole other, like, old-timey scam where these people were, like, were trying to tell people they were being haunted by, like, a ferret named Jeff. (laughs) Are you kidding me? No, and it was, like, the ferret's name is specifically spelled (laughs) G-E-F. And he, like, goes around and so, like, it's... I think it happens in England and, you know, it's like wartime or something. And so there's not a lot of food around. And Jeff helps them out when he's happy with them by going out and killing rabbits and, like, leaving it on their doorstep. But then when he's mad at them for, like, you know, trying to get rid of the ferret ghost or whatever, he, like, won't bring them food anymore and will let them go hunt. I mean, it is the most insane story you've ever heard of. Oh, my God. The last podcast on the left guys kind of come to the conclusion that it's like a dad joke gone wrong. Like he started telling his kids this story and then before he knows it, he's like in the newspaper. (laughs) It it reminds me. I have got to listen to this. This is incredible. (laughs) I looked it up. The fairies thing is real, everyone. It's called the Cottingly Fairies and it happened in 1917. So it really was an OG scam. Yeah. Uh, we're just gonna have to do like a whole podcast about og scams. honestly i think you could do a very interesting like a very successful podcast on scammers of all varieties people love scammers Mm -hmm. well there is one actually from the last podcast network called fraudsters i think and the the first few episodes they did were just about miss cleo (gasps) um the podcast in and of itself was bored me a little bit bit so i haven't really listened to it but if you're into fraud stories i, I love fraud. Good, i just um... think fraud is such an american thing <laughs> like it really yes it is a deeply mm-hmm. the, the grift is an american art yeah i mean go watch paper moon everybody and watch <gasps> cute little uh what's her name there what what Cher. is her name no, no you're talking about moonstruck, moonstruck. <laughs> <laughs> no no um so it's sorry. uh tatum o'neill tatum oh, o'neill tatum and o'neill. ryan okay. o'neill play like father-daughter grifters and she's like a tiny adorable little child that he just like lets loose on people to scam them and it's it's cute child scams the unexpected hero of this episode (laughs) yeah now that we've recommended a bunch of things do you do you want to get to our actual recommendation sure um Uh, i go first okay i had like you know a really good lowbrow and then i and then alex trebek died and Aww. I was just like, I cannot 
record this episode and not acknowledge the greatest father figure in my life. That is Alex Trebek. (laughs) I mean, we, every single night of my childhood, it didn't matter where we were, whether we were in the middle of dinner, it was the only thing we would ever interrupt anything for was Jeopardy. It was like as close to religion as my family got. And it remains a huge part of my life. And I am just you know it obviously he was sick and it's very sad and it was not super surprising mm-hmm. but it is such a loss and he was such a wonderful man so my lowbrow would be i guess jeopardy because jeopardy is for everyone like it is never been about being like a pretentious ass and in fact alex would always make fun of people like that like he was a very humble (laughs) down to earth guy that was willing to troll anybody and he was an expert troll like if you youtube some of his Mm -hmm. like greatest burns he was just absolutely masterful at like (laughs) gently destroying people like he would just like and i always laugh with my partner about like the things that people on jeopardy choose to share about themselves in the like 10 seconds Mm -hmm. they get like, they're always weird. They're always just like, oh, yeah, well, when I was six, my iguana. I'm like, six? You're 30. Why are you talking about the iguana you had when you are six? This is so weird. You have 10 seconds to say anything, and that's what you're going to say? And he just would always mm-hmm. have a great little comeback. So Jeopardy will be my lowbrow because I don't think Alex Trebek would want me to endorse it as a highbrow. My highbrow, I just watched yesterday, and I hadn't seen it before, and I should have watched it the second it came out, and you should watch it too. And it is on YouTube for free if you don't have Netflix. And that is Knock Down the House. Um, this documentary that is primarily about mm-hmm. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but also another group of um, women that ran uh, um, as Democratic challengers to incumbent politicians throughout America, including um, a woman who ran against Senator Joe Manchin, who's an incumbent uh, in West Virginia. Uh, and it was just fantastic. I cannot say enough about it. It really, you're just like so struck by uh, AOC's presence and you really get like some deep insight into what makes her tick and why she ran for office. And the big takeaway I had was that she's very much a working person for the people, as she says, but she's also a political killer. Like her instincts are unbelievable. And when she's just talking, there's a lot of footage of her like right at the beginning of her grassroots campaign. Like I think there's footage of the first ever meeting she had with people and Every time she opens her mouth, like, everyone in the room is like, oh, shit, we are sitting in the room with, like, someone that is probably going to be a president. Like, I don't know if she'll be the first female president because now we have a female vice president, holla, but Mm -hmm. she will be a president of some variety. And it's just fantastic. So I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, Knock down the house, Netflix, and pour one out for our man, Alex Trebek. Uh, those are both really good recommendations. And I think you can watch Jeopardy on, yeah. is it on Netflix or is it It was. Hulu? I don't know if it still is, but I know it was on Jeopardy, on uh, Netflix. Yeah. Um, you should definitely go back and watch that. I, I love Jeopardy too. Um, Who doesn't? I, I That's like that a test clip. if you're a psycho. Like, oh, you don't like Jeopardy? Get out of my face. I remember, do you remember there was a, a guy who was sort of gaming the system? He wasn't actually answering that many James questions. James Holzhauser? He had like the... <laughs> Sure. Um, but I remember we had to talk about him on Colin's show, the show that uh, Rebecca Carolyn and I all do together, The Nose. Um, and I and everybody was mad that this guy was just gaming the system. I was like, are there people who actually care oh, who yeah. wins Jeopardy? I'm only watching to see how many questions I can get right. Like, yeah. who well, cares what actually happens on the It show? happens sometimes. You'll have like a one in a million contestant that goes on this crazy run like Ken Jennings did. And Ken Jennings mm-hmm. was just a straight up genius and they could not get questions to stump him. James Holzhauser yeah. was very controversial because he was a, like a professional Las Vegas gambler. 
Like, mm. that was what he did. So he would make these insane wagers, and he would hunt for the um, daily doubles, and people were pissed about it. But he ended up earning, like, more money on Jeopardy than anybody before, than, like, all of the other, yeah. like, major winners combined, because he was just really smart at wagering. And he was also very... I mean, you cannot succeed on Jeopardy without being incredibly intelligent. You have to answer the questions when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. And he was just one of those minds that I think was probably photographic or something. But people were angry, I think he's in the running to replace. I think it will probably, Alex's replacement will be Ken Jennings because Ken has kind of had roles like that. I I think it'll be him, but I think it could also be James. Yeah, he, I mean, he became kind of a talking head. Like he shows up on a lot of those, like, remember the 90s kind of things or whatever. And he's not, um, I would have thought he'd be really sort of boring and he's not no i think he's really natural he's He's got you you can't like compete with alex right so it's gonna have to be someone that's a little bit different and ken Mm -hmm. has that nerdiness he knows the game really well i think that's obviously a big plus so i wouldn't be surprised if it's him or somebody else that has kind of achieved fame through jeopardy um all right so what do you got my recommend my recommendations this week are uh, a, a crossover recommendation. So Rebecca and I are in the midst of a, devising another podcast that's all about books. And what we're going to do is we're going to have short little seasons where we tackle like several books from one author. And the first author we're doing is one of my all-time favorites, John Irving. Um, so... On the, I get, I don't know that I'd call any of them really high end, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on the, on the highbrow side. I'm going to recommend um, a prayer for Owen Meany and the World According to Garp, which are the first two books we're doing. A prayer for Owen Meany is one of my favorite books of all time. Owen Meany himself is one of my favorite characters of all time. He is just like I want him to come live with me, and um, and then the World According to Garp is the book that kind of made him famous. And then on um, the highbrow or the lowbrow side, I guess, we're going to read The Hotel New Hampshire, which is just the most insane, borderline bad book (laughs) I have ever read. It is so bizarre. There's a bear. There's a woman who dresses up like a bear. There's something called The Black Arm of the Law. And there, I mean, it just, there's like... A man named Freud who isn't Freud, but he still lives in Vienna. Like, there's a lot of sex workers. Like, there's just so much going on in this book, and it's insane. And I think it got really bad reviews when it came out, but I don't care. I still think it's really fun, bizarre read, and I highly recommend all of them. So, and if you like our book club episodes, which do actually seem to be the most popular of this po- of episodes of this podcast every season um be on the lookout for our announcement about that and we should add to this that the kind of theme around the of the authors and the books we're choosing is not necessarily mm-hmm. like classic highbrow literature you know we right. both kind of realized that the older we get that there's not you know you can read everything that you should read tm but oftentimes it's a lot more <laughs> enjoyable to read things you like so these are all going to be authors that are really easily bingeable that we feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people have read so you know your jillian flynn's your uh, what mm-hmm. are some of the other names we've been talking about my brain stops um, working after right. i say one <laughs> Barbara King Silver, yeah. Dennis Lehane, yep. um, Octavia Spencer. So we're going to just kind of go no, all over the map and make Not it. Octavia Spencer, is it? Octavia Butler, I always do that. I, Octavia yeah. Butler, <laughs> every single time. Octavia. But they're yeah. both great. Um, 
Um, yes. So it's going to be um, stuff that you will, it's not like we're going to be talking to you about, you know, Ezra Pound or Hemingway. This is going to be. Yeah, we're not going to try to force you to listen to Ulysses and pretend that anyone actually likes it. Spoiler, no one has actually um, read it. I don't care if you're no. a professor of modern literature. You haven't actually read and comprehended Ulysses, and it is the hill I will personally die on. Everyone is a liar that says that to you. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so if you like to read fun books and you can't get together with your book club right now because COVID, um, this is the podcast for you. And uh, with that, we'll be back next week, hopefully with Carolyn. All right, catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Big Little Podcast. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming one of our valued podcast supporters at www.thebiglittlepodcast.com or just leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Can't get enough of us? Follow us on social media at Big Little Podcast for exclusive content in between new episodes.